We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. Good evening. Brad Young in at your service. Hope you're having a great Wednesday evening. Thanks for staying in with us after the game. We always appreciate when you listen to Camo X. And by the way, when you're listening to Camo X, I know everybody listens to 11.20 a.m., but it's funny, the other day I got some texts from some friends of mine who were listening on FM 98.7, and they said, Brad, it sounds so great to hear you without static. And I'm like, dude, with 50,000 watts on AM, there's no static unless you're listening in Utah. If you're listening around here, there is no static. But if you just like FM, listen, it sounds it sounds as good as any podcast. You can always check us out on 98.7 FM. Uh, I'll be in with you till 11 o'clock this evening. Lots of things on tap. We've got interviews galore. But, of course, Bill Cosby's the big news. Bill Cosby. Listen, you know, Bill Cosby was a great comedian. I mean, even, even his drinks tasted funny. You know, I mean, that's is, is, is it too soon to make Bill Cosby jokes? I hope, I hope not. Anyway, he's out. He's done. I mean, he's uh, he took off those that orange jumpsuit. He's no longer eating vanilla pudding every night after dinner with a plastic fork. He is out. And so as the show unfolds this evening, I'll be going through the legalities of how it is that Bill Cosby is now walking the street. He's a free man. And, uh, you know, a lot of folks are upset about this. A lot of folks are upset that the Constitution actually works the way it was designed to work. Why? It's an outrage. Why? How could he get out of prison? He should be in prison despite what the Constitution says. So we'll be going through that this evening. You know, normally when I'm on, in fact, I've been on a couple of times this week talking about legal issues during the day here on X. But tonight, listen, I take off. Well, I kind of leave my legal hat halfway on. What the beauty of this is, is you 
don't get my confiscatorily high legal bill. You don't get that. I give it to Camo X instead of giving it to you. And instead, we get to sit and talk about lots of issues, not just legal stuff. But, you know, you can't you can't swing a dead cat without hitting four lawyers that are going to want to talk about legal issues. So we're going to be talking about some of those legal issues. The other issue that I found interesting, I'm not going to play this clip now, but did you know everyone likes to talk about QAnon? Oh, my goodness, the QAnon conspiracies. But did you know that there is an actual group out there called Birds Aren't Real? I'm not I'm not making this up. They had a rally in Springfield, Missouri last week. Thousands of people showed up. They're having a rally this Friday at the Arch. I'm going to be going through what does Birds Aren't Real? What do they think? What's their conspiracy theory? I've even got some clips, uh, audio clips uh, from the uh, the leader of Birds Aren't Real. And listen, if you thought that QAnon was wacky, these guys, these guys are very crazy. So <clears throat> we're going to go through that. Uh, also, you know, the poll came out today, and it looks like, whoops, support for Biden among Democrats is eroding. It's eroding. So I'm going to go through why. Why is it that that Biden is not as popular among Democrats as he was a few months ago? There are some very, very specific reasons, and we're going to look at that. Also, I was on today with uh, with Mark Reardon over on our sister station, 97.1, talking about the Miami condo collapse. And you want to talk about something that's the Lawyers Full Employment Act. I mean, the, there, there's more lawyers swarming around this situation than you would find at a bus accident in downtown St. Louis. So, And they've all got their business cards out because this is going to be, well, th- think about it like this. Have you ever watched Shark Week? Have you ever watched Shark Week before where they throw chum in the water? That's what this is for lawyers. So I'm going to break down the legal issues uh, with the uh, the collapse of the condo in Miami, and uh, and then uh, we will be talking about whether or not this litigation is actually going to make a difference in the lives of those who were tragically lost. I mean, at this point, I think 16 or 18 bodies have actually been found, but still there's 150, I believe, people missing, and chances are they're just tragically buried underneath that rubble. So I'm going to be going through the legal legal issues associated with that collapse. Also, Governor Parson signed the Wayfair legislation. Now, the Wayfair legislation is not some law designed to allow chicks to buy more home goods from Wayfair. That is not what that is. It's a, it's actually a tax provision, and I'm going to break that down for you as well, too. But uh, we got some interviews coming up, and when we aren't doing interviews tonight— Phone lines are, of course, open. Whatever it is we're talking about, if you just want to get something off your chest, listen, I'll I'll talk about anything. doesn't matter. 314-436-7900, call or text. And listen, I read every text that you send. Also, if you want to send me an email, that's great, too. My law firm, Harris, Dowell, Fisher & Young, if you want to send me an email, I always always respond to listeners, and I usually get about several every time I'm on here on X because, let's face it, it's the 50,000-watt blowtorch of 1120 a.m. My email address, bjoung, that's B-Y-O-U-N-G, 
at harrisdowell.com, H-A-R-R-I-S, as in Sam, Diaz, and David, O-W-E-L-L. That's my law firm, Harris, Dowell, Fisher, and Young. When we come back from this break, we're going to talk to Army Major General Jeffrey Slosher, and we're going to talk to him about his new book, Marathon War, Leadership in Combat in Afghanistan. We're also going to talk about the current status of the withdrawal of U.S. troops from Afghanistan. It's not very often you get to hear from an Army Major General, but you're going to hear from him tonight talking about what's going on in Afghanistan. Brad Young at your service here on X. Don't go away. Trusted information, live and local. From the award-winning KMOX Newsroom. Welcome back to At Your Service on KMOX. Brad Young in with you this evening. And uh, I want to talk about what's going on in Afghanistan. You've heard about the withdrawal, but, you know, it's not getting a lot of coverage now because of COVID, because of other things going on around the world. It's not getting the coverage that it needs to get. So I reached out uh, to retired Army Major General Jeffrey Schlosser. He's a retired Army Major General who commanded the 101st Airborne Division for 33 months, including 15 months in combat in Afghanistan. This guy has a longer resume than Bush 41, President George H.W. Bush. Uh, In his 34-year Army career, he served in Afghanistan, in Iraq, in Kosovo, Albania, Kuwait, Haiti, Jordan, Korea, and twice in Germany. He was the assistant division commander of the 101st Airborne Division in Iraq, uh, the first global war on terrorism planning director in Pentagon, and we have him tonight on X. Major General Jeffrey Slosser, hey, welcome back, or welcome rather to X. Hey, Brad, thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure and an honor uh, to talk to you, sir, and as always, thank you for your service. Uh, You've written a new book, Marathon War, Leadership in Combat in Afghanistan. And I want to get to some of the details of that book, but I've got so many other questions right now about Afghanistan that I want to start with that, about the current status of our forces there. And shortly shortly after President Biden announced that most of the U.S. forces would be pulled from Afghanistan by September 11, it was reported that the Taliban seized 33% of Afghanistan. Is there a relationship here, Major General, between the announcement of the withdrawal of U.S. forces from Afghanistan and the actions of the Taliban to seize more territory? Yeah, I think so, Brad. You know, as soon as you put on a a date certain on something of, you know, like uh, a withdrawal like that, uh, basically we're saying we're leaving. And, of course, our NATO allies are going to beat us out the door because they rely upon us in many cases. And uh, the Taliban had no further interest and no need to uh, either stay up with any kind of negotiated, uh, you know, uh, uh, treaty. It wasn't really a treaty, but it was a plan. There was no need to do that. And, you know, I don't think, to be honest with you, Brad, I don't think that they ever intended to follow through with any of the negotiations that they've been doing over the last two years. I believe their goal has always been to militarily take over the entire country. They have no need for the current Afghan legitimate government they don't want that they have no need for democracy they have no uh, sense of that so i think that this was all along something that uh, they thought was quite possible and then once you do declare that we're leaving uh you know our negotiating power is gone yeah zero uh yeah, yeah. and and i i get the sense major general that 
that uh, Americans mistakenly see the Taliban as like a single entity, like like nation states that we fought in prior wars. But you have often I followed your career for years and you have often referred to the enemy in Afghanistan as a syndicate. Can you briefly can you briefly kind of describe how the enemy forces in Afghanistan are more of a syndicate rather than a unified nation state? Yeah, it's it's pretty much the way that you might think of as collusion against a common enemy. So they'll get together and uh, you have a variety of different groups that have different ethnic backgrounds and they also have a very different uh uh, ideas of what uh, you know they want to see as far as an Afghan state, but they'll get together and collude together and fight a common enemy, which has been the United States and our NATO allies, and as well as other allies from around the world. You're going to see that kind of fray as uh, as we leave, NATO leaves, and uh, you'll see uh, basically some infighting clearly. Uh, and in fact, I mean, it was devastating. Uh, Prior to the Taliban taking over, uh, the militias were attacking each other. The Taliban was able to come out on them, and there was still a fair amount of fight, fighting. So we call it a syndicate because, I mean, everybody under the sun is basically in this uh, group of either insurgents or terrorists. And, and Brad, I don't want people to forget that uh, al-Qaeda received safe haven, though, before we began our invasion after, you know, prior to 9-11. And you're going to see terrorist groups like Al-Qaeda and Islamic State uh, regrow inside of a safe haven uh, under the Taliban. Well, that's actually my my next question. And we're talking to Major General Jeffrey uh, Schlosser, author of the new book, Marathon War, Leadership in Combat in Afghanistan. And as I understand, the original goal of going into Afghanistan after 9-11 was to prevent terrorists from using Afghanistan as a base of operations to plan and execute more terrorist strikes against the U.S. But by unilaterally pulling out, or at least all or most of our armed forces out of Afghanistan, without any type of an agreement that would limit Taliban forces, are we simply allowing terrorists to resume using Afghanistan for uh, terrorist activities against the U.S. in the future? I think so. I mean, I think, you know, we would be naive to think that uh, the Taliban are going to come in and establish a Jeffersonian democracy. And uh, and that is not their intent. And uh, they've not given up uh, on their ties to al-Qaeda. And uh, while they hate the Islamic State, they're about to put up with them. We're not put up with them. They'll probably be fighting them with them within months. Hmm. Um but there will be a safe haven there for terrorist groups because, in part, uh, the Taliban won't be able to control the entire country by any means. In fact, there will be militia groups that are associated with this government, the current Afghan government, fighting them. But it will it will not be, you know, in the sense that they'll be able to uh, provide any legitimate government. Uh, the Taliban will take that over. And uh, what you're going to see, I think, in the future then is, is – uh, Basically, it's going to be like the Wild West of Afghanistan for a, a period of time in which there'll be plots, there'll be training, and we could well see, uh, and I hate to say this to the American people, but we could well see another attack in our country. Uh, hopefully, we'll be able to prevent it. Hopefully, we'll be able to uh, ensure that, uh, you know, from outside the borders uh, and within the intelligence that we will be able to still do, which is going to be difficult, we'll be able to prevent any kind of an attack like that. But, uh, yes, we're walking out, and uh, we got to be prepared for what that means. And I don't think it's going to be good for America or our national interest. Well, 
one of the things that I love about talking to you, sir, is that you're not just talking theory. You're not talking about stuff you've researched in a book. You're you're talking about situations on the ground that you've experienced. You've led men and women in combat, and you've dealt with these leaders. And I want to break down some of the things in your book that I've read, and I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But the last kind of general question I have for you is, is that the White House announced that steps are being taken to help those Afghani citizens who worked as interpreters or otherwise assisted American personnel. There were a lot of those. But are these Afghani citizens in danger because of the assistance they gave to the U.S.? And if so, what do you think can be done to help them, given the fact that they've literally risked their lives to help the United States? Yes, they are in danger. They have been in danger. They've been targeted uh, for assassination plots by the Taliban already. And so are the families. And, and we should not be uh, thinking that uh, the Taliban have come in, uh, shake their hands and say, all is good. Uh, they're going to actually plot to, uh, they'll, re- they'll seek revenge. It's part of uh, what they call Pashtun Wali, uh, which is basically a revenge code. Think of it that way. And so what we need to do is we need to get those translators, interpreters, all those people that supported us, as well as their families, out of the country, now, whether it requires us because of our bureaucracy to take a, uh, a period of time, months, maybe even years. Uh, you know, we did something like this for Vietnam uh, and we sent them to Guam. There are a lot of options out there, but we cannot dilly dally around. And you're hearing people in Congress say so. A lot of them are vets from uh, Afghanistan or Iraq and are saying we've got to move right away. And and I think as you as you started the, the show, uh, Brad, I mean, you know, the Taliban are making very rapid progress um, as we speak. And, and so this is not going to take a very long time. And, I, and I, in fact, I would predict that, one, the United States will be out of uh, Afghanistan pretty much, except for the people guard, guarding the embassy, potentially the airport, uh, within a weeks, within just a couple of weeks. Amazing. And, you're gonna see, and then you're going to see the Taliban really put on uh, a military uh, um fight to uh, to try to seize territory. And uh, they've been fairly successful. The Afghan army is folding uh, in many cases. And uh, I think you're going to rapidly see what I thought would be a, a year to two-year process. Uh, just a month ago, I think you're going to see this happen within months. Amazing. Hey, we're talking to Major General Jeffrey Schlosser, author of the new book, Marathon War, Leadership in Combat in Afghanistan. And uh, uh, General Schlosser, your book takes us into many battles in Afghanistan, including uh, the famed Battle of Wanat that involved fierce, up-close combat. But to folks like me that's never been in combat uh, and folks that are listening that have never been in a combat situation, how are real battles like the Battle of Wanat different from what we oftentimes see in the movies? Yeah, so what you see in the movies is often it's often horrific. I mean, you know, movies are increasingly getting to appear like they're um, what I would say is more realistic. What you're missing when you see a movie is the personal ties between the people that are fighting, some of which are dying. Um, people go to war for a whole variety of reasons. I say that in Marathon War. Some are, you know, patriotic patriotism. Some are just trying to seek a job. Some of them are going for the adventure. But when shells start shoot, coming to you, mortars, rockets, bullets coming your way, and believe it, they don't have to hit you. They can just coming your way. It makes it personal. As soon as that happens, you start fighting for the people to your left, to your right, your buddies, uh, the people that you've been working with over the you know period of time. Uh, 
And so what you can't get is that personal feeling. Uh, when you're on the ground, you're fighting, you're doing everything you can to make sure that not only you stay alive, but that person next to you stays alive. And then all of a sudden you see somebody being killed. The impact on that is incredible. And you cannot get it in a movie. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very difficult to try to explain in a, in a book. Mm-hmm. Well, in your in your book, Marathon War, Leadership in Combat in Afghanistan, uh, you also delve into your dealings with American leaders like President George W. Bush and then-Senator Barack Obama. But here's a question I've always wanted to ask you. In, in what ways do civilian leaders often call on the military to achieve non-military goals? Well, I think that that's, that is probably the actual uh, most substantial question uh, about Afghanistan. You know, when we go into a uh, location, we usually do it right away because we are upset, we're pissed off, we want to make sure that we bring revenge, we're trying to do something good for somebody else, you know, for some, you know, whatever the the cause is. But we go in for purposes like that. We also go in for our own national interest. We believe it's important. What we normally don't do is say, how is this going to end? What is this? What does the end state look like? And establish very logical, achievable things that one the military can do, and then everybody else that's uh, uh, in in, in uh, this you know endeavor are helping. For example, in Afghanistan, we had USAID, we had State Department, we had the CIA, obviously, um, a whole variety of different players out there. Uh, we actually had uh, agricultural specialists. Uh, you know, reteaching the uh, Afghans how to uh, farm after 40 years of not knowing how to farm. Um, but at the end of it, you've got to have something that's achievable by your military forces. And that's where I think we went astray in Afghanistan. Some would say that we potentially have done that elsewhere, and uh, including Vietnam, you know, which was a you know war that my father fought three tours. In, and I, I uh, enlisted in the Army just a couple of years after the fall. Yeah, you know, one year after the fall, to be honest with you. And uh, so realistic um, goals make a huge difference. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we have not been really good at establishing realistic goals, either at the civilian level, at the, you know, the commander in chief level. I have all the respect, by the way, for our presidents and uh, President Bush. I, I felt like I got to know we've had uh, several one on one conversations both in Afghanistan and prior to that in the West Wing of the White House, and uh, a true hero. And uh, and in the book, I even relate about Senator Obama. I basically said to Senator McCain, after I had spent a day with him, I said, Senator McCain doesn't have a choice, doesn't have a chance. <laughs> you, know, I, uh, you know, and uh, it wasn't necessarily which way I was leaning at the time as sure. far as my own personal feeling, uh, but I had just seen him mm-hmm. and the charisma that he had with our, my soldiers and my Marines and uh, airmen and sailors, and it was just stunning. I said, wow, this guy is, is going to be the president. And uh, well, it was a huge opportunity for me to be exposed to leaders like that, mm-hmm. you know, and in a small, minor way to be able to ask them or tell them in some ways, hey, we've got to have achievable goals. You know, uh, before President Bush, and I, I don't mean to wander, but his last visit to Afghanistan, he sat down with me uh, and he said, he shooed away everybody. He said, you know, Steve Hadley and, uh, and my boss, General McKernan, and he said, uh, hey, let Jeff and I talk. 
And he just said, Jeff, tell me truly, what do you think? What's the future here? And we had a 30-minute talk about the future of Afghanistan. Amazing. And, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, these are real people. You know, we, we look at them and on TV or maybe even when we see them in person and we think of them as icons or, or we don't like them or whatever. These are real people. They don't know everything, in the, and, and, and the majority of them recognize that they don't uh, know everything. And... Uh, and it would be fascinating to know how President Bush feels about, uh, you know, the, the results right now in Afghanistan. Well, I, I found your book just just captivating. And one of the things I liked about your book is the way you bring in leadership techniques and leadership guidance that you gleaned from your combat experience. So from my perspective, I never served in the military, but combat is perhaps, I think, the greatest test of leadership. So what did you learn about leadership from leading others in combat? And how could civilians like me apply that, that leadership experience that you that you earned and learned? How can we apply that to non-combat situations? Well, you know, I, what I found is, and I talk about marathon war, is, is that it boiled down to me uh, incompetence in moral courage, which is different than bravery, and then uh, ultimately character. So let's go through those very quickly. Uh, in confidence, it was not only my preparation as a leader, and I had, to, I had to lead at a variety of different levels, you know, whether it was a tactical fight, making a decision who was going to die and who was not, and then that afternoon talking to the president of the United States or the president uh, or the minister of defense in Afghanistan, which was a different level, and that night later, uh, wishing goodbye the remains of a soldier that had died, and then writing his family or her family. Uh, incredibly, you know, personal yet uh, strategic yet and always tactical. But the competence was important. In other words, I had to grow while I was there, and more importantly, I was I was judging the competence of every commander and every soldier out there. And in some cases, I had to relieve them in combat, which was a career ender. And I think you have to have uh, that ability to understand and see what you're uh, seeing in leadership of other people as well as yourself and judge yourself and them and then make the right kind of moves. Moral courage is the ability to stand up and speak for what's right. This is not bravery. This is the ability. Well, it's in a sense it's a bravery, but it's a different type of bravery. It's not battlefield bravery. It's the ability to say, I believe that I know, you know, either from my values or from my education, my experience, uh, this is the right thing to do, even if it's unpopular, even if I may lose my rank because of it, and I'm going to do that. And I saw that ultimately several different times. Even if I disagreed with the ultimate uh, decision that these people made, I saw the moral courage they had, and it was really important. Finally, character. You know, it ultimately goes down to who you're going to follow. Are you going to follow somebody that you don't trust? Are you going to follow somebody that you're not sure uh, you know, really has your own best interest in mind or the best interest of all those soldiers. Character kind of comes down to it, integrity and trustworthiness and a sense of honor. And uh, and that was, in fact, you know, a, a, I think the probably the baseline foundation for leadership. So courage, you know, more moral courage, competence and character. Excellent. Excellent. Major General Jeff Schlosser, author of the new book, Marathon War, Leadership in Combat in Afghanistan. Hey, thank you, sir, for joining us this evening on Camo X. Brad, thanks for having me on the show. Really enjoyed it. It's been an honor. Thank you, sir. Hey, uh, what do you think of what Major General Schlosser had to say? Are we doing the right thing pulling out of Afghanistan? Should we have even gone in Afghanistan in the first place? Phone lines are open 314 
436-7900. Call or text. Would love to hear from you this evening on At Your Service. Brad Young, until 11 p.m. on KMOX. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launcher online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast (sighs) spring is a time of renewal so why not refresh your home with a little help from blinds.com we make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Get the inside story on what's happening with your St. Louis Cardinals this season directly from the Redbirds manager. It's the Mike Schilt Show. Sunday mornings at 10.15. Sponsored by Bath Fitter. On your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals. KMOX. Welcome back to At Your Service. Brad Young in tonight. You know, I enjoy talking to guys like the Major General uh, Schlosser because this is the guy that's done that. He's been there and he's done that. He's not an academic, although he's highly educated, but he talks about what it was like actually being in combat. You know, that's why I don't like whenever actors are lecturing us on stuff. Like, what do you know? All you do is repeat words that someone else wrote for you. So uh, that's why I like talking to guys like the General Schlosser because he's been there, 
he's done that. And he's got the flak jacket with bullet holes in it to prove it. So I was really glad that he could join us uh, this evening because his book doesn't just talk about his combat experience, but it talks about his, his experience with political leaders, his behind-the-scenes analysis. He gives leadership techniques that he learned, and then he throws in the combat stuff just because he can. Uh, and so that's I, his book is thoroughly enjoyable, and uh, I hope you pick it up uh, at bookstores everywhere. Uh, the other thing that's in the news right now, of course, Bill Cosby. And it's interesting that the reaction to Bill Cosby being released is overwhelmingly negative. And I, and I get that. I'm not insensitive to that. But I need to break down for you why he was released, why I think it was constitutionally required that he be released, and what would be the ramifications if he weren't? And even though I think he's done some despicable things, it doesn't mean that he's innocent. It doesn't mean that he hasn't committed these atrocities that that dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of women have come out and accused him of doing. I mean, he even admitted to some of them, which gets to the heart of why he had to be released from prison. Now, let me just kind of give you some background of this. He was charged with uh, with a, a rape charge, an assault charge, dating back to 2004 against a woman by the name of Andrea Constand. And at the time, there, there was a, a prosecuting attorney by the name of Bruce Castor. And Bruce Castor looked at the evidence. It was basically a he said, she said. Now, keep in mind, today... Those he said, she said cases more often than not go in favor of the of the woman because our our sensibilities on this issue have changed over time. But back 20 years ago, 15 years ago, heck, even five years ago, that wasn't the case. And so the prosecuting attorney, Bruce Castor, looked at this case and said, I don't think we have enough evidence to convict Bill Cosby on an assault charge. So here's what I'm going to do. In order to force him to testify in the civil case being brought by Andrea Constand, I'm going to give I'm going to give Bill Cosby a deal that I'm going to waive prosecution against him so that he cannot exercise his 5th amendment right against self-incrimination. Listen, anybody who's ever seen LA law or LA law, listen to me, law law and order. If you've watched Law and Order, you know what this is, and that is you can't be forced to testify under the Fifth Amendment against yourself. But if you're giving if you're given an immunity to prosecution, then you can, in fact, be forced to testify because you're not facing incarceration. So that's what that's what that's what Bill Cosby received. He received immunity from prosecution, and he, in fact, testified as to what he did to Andrea Constand. There's a deposition of him saying the things that he did. And so the next prosecutor that came along after Bruce Castor realized that things were starting to change, that maybe he could get a conviction based upon just the subjective testimony of Andrea Constand. So he files charges and he is ultimately convicted but he still received that immunity from prosecution. 
So the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, I think it was a five to two decision. I think there's only seven members on the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. They not only acquitted him, they not only dismissed the charges, but said he could not be prosecuted for this crime because he had received a prosecution waiver from the prosecuting attorney. And I think that that is critical. As, as much as I wish he could be prosecuted for these other crimes, the statute of limitations has expired on all of them. So in this instance, although it looks like a guilty man is going free because in all likelihood, that's exactly what happened. If it weren't the case, then prosecutors could trick people to say, I'll give you a waiver to make you testify, and then I'll prosecute you based upon what you've said. And if that were to be allowed to stand, it would violate the entire principle of the Bill of Rights to our Constitution. So as much as I don't like it that a guilty man is going free, as much as it bothers me that he, in all likelihood, assaulted many, 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 many women, and the guy's going to go free because of it, as much as I don't like that, the opposite would be worse. In other words, if he were to stay incarcerated, that could affect hundreds and thousands of people in this country, and, and as opposed to simply Bill Cosby. He served a couple of years in prison. He'll be forever tainted. Hopefully there'll be more civil cases against him. There can be a degree of justice leveled against him, even if he walks free from this crime. What do you think? Should Bill Cosby have been let go? Do you think he should have been charged again? Do you think he should stay in prison for what he did? Phone lines or text is open, 314-436-7900. More on At Your Service on X right after this. Dependable. Traffic and weather together on the 10s. Weekday mornings on The Voice of St. Louis. KMOX. Welcome back to At Your Service on KMOX. Brad Young in with you till 11 p.m. this evening, so stick around. In the meantime, we've got Valerie's been holding through the break. Hey, Valerie, welcome to KMOX. Hi, thank you. Um, I wanted to comment on the Bill Cosby thing. So yes. the prior co- uh, prosecutor, as I understood, it was a verbal agreement. Um, so how was the next prosecutor supposed to know that? If, if somebody doesn't document something like that, so that whole trial ended up being like a total waste of taxpayer dollars um, yeah. and a lot of everybody's time. So, like, how does that disconnect get reconnected? You know, Valerie, I, I want to compliment you. That is, you, your question really gets to the heart of this issue. And, in fact, that was my initial problem with this entire defense strategy because I thought if it's not in writing, how do we know it really exists? I mean, that's that's the thing but lawyers always tell you all the time. If it's not in writing, it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. That's right. And who was the wit? You know, were there witnesses? Right. Like somebody should write that stuff down. I, I, I agree. And my hope is, is that that's the takeaway from this, is that prosecutors will know that they need to put these things in writing. Now, in this instance, we do know, Valerie, that it actually existed for two reasons. Number one, Bruce Castor testified that it did happen, and he gave detailed accounts of what he and Bill Cosby agreed to. Secondly, Bill Cosby went 
and testified in his deposition. And in his deposition, he said, I'm only here because the prosecutor has waived, uh, uh, has given me immunity from crimes if I will testify in the civil case. So we, we have documentation of it, but we don't have a written did, agreement. Yeah. Right. Nobody disputed his verbal statements either. So, yeah, very interesting. Very Isn't interesting. it? It's very interesting. And my, my hope is, is the takeaway is, is that if prosecutors do these, and I've heard of prosecutors doing these many, many times, uh, and they typically are in writing. And, and I don't know why, of all cases, to not do it in writing, this was not the one. It was not the one. Yeah. But yeah. I, I just yeah. applaud you for zeroing in, Valerie, on the one issue with this case. And I hope that prosecutors learn from this experience. Very good. All right. Hey, thanks. Thanks for calling in. Appreciate it. You know, the, the fallout has been swift against Bill Cosby. But, you know, one person has really, truly come out in favor of Bill Cosby. And I would like to say it's his wife, because in my mind, it is his wife, but it's not. It's Felicia Rashad. Uh, she, that was his wife on The Cosby Show. And she came out instantly on social media and said, a terrible wrong has been righted. A miscarriage of justice is corrected. And listen, she's probably spent more time in bed with Bill Cosby than just about anybody. Uh, of course, it was, it was in front of cameras, okay? But she was in a position to know him. She says that a miscarriage of justice has been righted. And uh, uh, and I, she will probably be canceled because of that position. Brad Young at your service tonight on Camo X. We'll be right back. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Hey, 